Hey, you're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. You've got your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 11. We're talking about hope and what hope is. And um, I just want to read from if, if, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So biblical hope, God kind of hope, is connected to faith. Faith is the substance of what we hope for and the evidence of things that you don't see. What you hope for, you don't see. And so faith is the substance of what you hope for. Faith has to have hope for it to work. If you don't have hope, faith won't work. Now, I, want to discuss, I just want to explain what hope is. In the dictionary, when you look up the word hope, this is what it says. And I'm not saying this is the correct de- definition, but this is what the dictionary says. An earnest, uh, an earnest expectation of the positive future. Actually, that's a biblical de- definition. But this is, this is hope is expecting. This is the definition from the dictionary. Having your expector on or a feeling of something good's going to happen. A feeling that, that the future's going to be good. So the definition of the dictionary really talks about your feelings a lot, as if your hope is a feeling. But I want to say hope is much more than a feeling. It's not just a feeling because feelings come from your thinking anyway. If your thinking's not right, your feelings won't be there. If your thinking isn't according to God's word, you're not going to have the hope from heaven, the hope that's spiritual. Because faith is the substance of what you hope for. To me, hope is the blueprint. It's like vision. If you don't have a hope for your life, then you don't have a vision for your life. And everyone, you know, the Bible talks about if, if we don't have vision, my people perish. So vision is what do you see your life in a, in a few weeks' time? Where do you see yourself going in a few months' time? Where do you see your life in a year's time or five years' time? That's hope. Like you've got to have a hope for every part of your life. Where do you see yourself in five years' time with your family, with your children? If you're, if you're married and you're about to have children or you've got little ones, where do you see your children becoming when they're teenagers? That's hope. Because if, you, if you've got a picture in your inner world, oh, they're rebellious teenagers. They're going to be really, really rebellious, rebellious. When they become teenagers, you watch. Everyone tells me they're really bad years. And, and, and you, that's your image. That's your hope. That's what you actually see. You're seeing the wrong hope. Does that make sense? This hope affects every part of your life, not just your spiritual walk with God. When I, think, I mean, when I think of spiritual walk anyway, I think of it, it affects everything anyway. I see how it affects our marriage. Like, how do I image my hope is the image of how I see my marriage and my wife in five years' time? Where do I see it in 10 years' time? That's hope. Does that make sense? When I first became a Christian at the age of 19, I had to have an image, a hope, a vision, so to speak. Where's my life going to be in five years' time, 10 years' time, in 20 years' time? I'm talking about that. Does that make sense? Faith and hope work together. When I first became a Christian at the age of 19, I think a year into my, my walk with Jesus and getting to know Jesus, I started to have a, a hope or a vision that, hey, I, I can do this full time. Like, I felt my first calling was, I, I, I can't do anything but this preaching of gospel. But then I, I heard the voice of God and God spoke to me clearly because hope is connected to hearing God speak. We're going to talk about that. Right? Hope is connected to hearing God as a person speak to us. And so God started to speak to me about starting a church. But again, I had to have, I have, to have an envision, a hope 
what would it look like in 10 years' time? And so the inner world of your hope, the way you see your life, your marriage, your children, your walk with God in 10 years' time, or whatever your endeavors are. Like for me, it was starting this church. I had to envision what it would look like. And so when you face reality of life, it'll be contrary sometimes to what your inner world is telling you. And depending how real your inner world is connected to God will determine if you hold on to that hope that's inside you. Does that make sense? You hold on even though every outward circumstance is telling you contrary to what God has said to you and given you. Sometimes it is with your marriage. And, and you know, in the natural, it feels like this is, this is not what I envisioned. This is not what my picture, my hope, my moving forward was going to look like. And then you've got to keep holding on to the promises of God and keep speaking out God's will. And, and you speak out God's love and God's kindness and God's hope. You speak that out. Same with your children. You know, we've raised five children. Our oldest is 25. is in New Zealand right now preaching the word. Josiah is here and, and, and Ethan is here. Zeke, they're all, they're all in the life of the church, ministering, doing amazing for God. But what, what, how did that happen? By itself? Did it happen automatically? Did it happen just because I fluke? I'm telling you, it was done purposely. It was done with faith and hope. It was done with the words of God speaking over them over and over, over and over. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to help us see when you hear what we're about to talk about from the God's word, it affects every area of our life. Every area. Faith is the substance of what we hope for. So what are you hoping for? I really believe this. Hope is connected to faith, but if you don't have hope for your life, you can't be in neutral. There's no such thing as neutral. Neutral means I don't have any hope or I have... Because if you don't have hope, you have despair. Despair means it's motivated by fear. Remember I was saying, if you don't have hope, if you don't have a picture of your teenagers becoming amazing people that are going to love God and follow God and they're going to serve God and they're going to be so amazing, then you've got a fear that they're going to be rebellious and they're not going to obey God. They're going to hang around with the wrong crowd. Do you understand? You can't be neutral about something. Same with your future of, I don't know, your, your endeavors of your career. If you see yourself being successful in God, or do you fear failure? Does that make sense? You can't be neutral. And so the inner world of your relationship with God and hearing God speak to you should be so much stronger and so much more real. That's the best way I can say it. It should be more real than the circumstances around you when the circumstances screaming the opposite of what's inside you. Because it will. There will be times where all... It, you, know, you know, we say, oh, everything's going wrong. Or, oh, hell is broken loose against me. I just feel oh, hell is gone. Like, we, we, we make it sound so dramatic. And everything's going wrong. Really, two major things have gone wrong. And we, th- we say everything's going wrong. There's a lot of good that's going on in your life right now. A lot of good. So it just shows you that when you, one or two major things go wrong, we start saying everything's going wrong. And, and what's happening? You're framing your world. The way you're speaking is creating the world you're going to live in. So it's so important that we see what God... You know, when I first started the church, I, this is, this, again, and it's, it's got to be realistic. I, I unconsciously thought that I'd have 70 people in two or three months. 70 people? Easy. What's 70 people? I'm going I'm to reach people. I'm going to go out in the streets. We're gonna go. We used to preach in the streets of King's Cross and preach to anyone that would listen. And we just... I'm going to bring... So many people going to come in three months. Bang! You know how long it took to get 70 people to, to be in the life of our church and get saved and be with us? Three years. 
That sounds like nothing now, but it felt like a long time when I was going through those three years. Like, you know, like, because I thought three months. So the inner world had to be more real than, so that you don't give up. You don't quit. Joseph is a perfect case study. We're going to study him a bit more next, um, next week. Joseph, the story in the Bible, where he gets a dream, two dreams from God, that he's going to be great. That his brothers would bow down to him and his mum and dad would be the sun and the moon. They also would bow down to him. And he shares these two different dreams to his brothers and they laughed at him. But the dream's about greatness. And he believed it and he, and he shared it. He was so excited, a 17-year-old boy. And then he gets betrayed by his brothers. They're ready to kill him. They throw him in the pit. And one of the brothers wants to save him and, and bring him back to his parents. And, and he says, no, look, let's not, let's not kill him. He's our brother. Let's sell, him to the let's sell him to the Egyptians. Let's sell him as a slave. So how would you feel now you're in the pit? Your dream's not coming really true. Like, it's like, this is worse. What happened to my dream? I'm in a pit and they want to sell me to slave. And then they do sell him. And now he's chained up like a slave and he's going to Egypt, a different country. Loses his mum and dad, his parents, another language, a foreign country, foreign culture, foreign everything. And now it doesn't look like his dream's coming true. So the inner world of Joseph had to stay true to that dream. The only way that was going to happen is by his relationship with God. Now, the Bible says, when you read the story, every time I read that story, it's 10 chapters in Genesis. I cry. I've been reading it for 32 years. I still cry. read it the other day again. I still cry. Such a powerful story of redemption and love. And, and, and uh, just... It says, one time the brother says that, that we didn't listen to, this is 20 years later after they betrayed him. We didn't listen to his cries when he was in the pit, when he was crying for mercy and pleading to let, us, let him go. We didn't listen. This has come upon us because we didn't listen. 20 years later, they felt guilty about what they did. So he's crying out, mercy, mercy, please, brothers, what are you doing? Don't do this. This is wrong. He's crying out. His, his outward world is not looking like what God gave him, the dream. It's like the opposite. Everything's going from bad to worse. And then he, but everything he did, I think somehow, I don't know what it is. We don't know some of the ins and outs, but I, I believe his relationship with God really stayed intact. I wouldn't be surprised when he's in the carriage and they were taking him to Egypt that he starts singing to his God. I just believe that he had a, a, a faith in God that kept him through those hard times. And then when he, he just rose to the top, he, he was sold to to Potiphar, which was the army, the commander of the army. And now he gets accused of rape, which he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't touch the girl, the Potiphar's wife. Now he's in jail. I mean, you, you think if he gave up, this is what I'm trying to get at. If he gave up, he would have lost the dream that God gave him. The hope in him kept him going. And there were times we interpreted the dream, and he said to the baker and the, and the wine cup bearer of the king, and he said, when he, he interpreted them rightly, he said to the one that went back to the king, he says, tell the king, I have done nothing wrong. Please tell him, speak up for me. He's crying out to get out. The Bible says two years later, two years after he's crying out, please, I was innocent. I was thrown in this jail and I didn't do anything wrong. Can you tell the king, speak on my behalf? And the guy didn't. He guy forgot. Two years later. I mean, he's in jail for three or four years. We don't know how long, but it's a long time. I mean, things are looking really bad for Joseph. But he kept the inner vision and hope. He must have had a good attitude because he kept forgiving, kept loving. He could have got bitter. When these bad things happen to us, we either get really bitter or we deal with it properly and get better. 
It can be our tombstone. The enemy wants it to be our tombstone. Or it can actually be a stepping stone. I know you might think oh, they play on words, but I'm talking about the reality. It can be a stepping stone. Your hard times can be a stepping stone or it can be your tombstone where you, go to, you get buried. It all depends on how your inner world looks like. The inner world of how you see God and what God has said to you. It's vital. I'm telling you, this is how you live your life. This is, this is the Christian walk. 101, it's your relationship with God. God is referred to the God of hope. And it's this inner relationship with Him. We find in Romans chapter 4, Abraham was one of the greatest examples of hope that he hoped against hope. He hoped with spiritual hope against the hopelessness of the physical world. That's the story found in Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Look at this, what it says about Abraham, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed. Contrary to hope in the natural, in hope in God he believed. So that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken. This is how he believed, this is how he had hope against hope. Spiritual hope against natural hope. How? According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. See, God called Abraham at 75 years old and said, have a look at the stars. Can you count the stars, Abraham? And he's looking at the stars and he's looking at counting. It's impossible to count it, isn't it? God's trying to give him a picture, a reality. Look at the stars. He goes, you will have that many descendants as, as much as the stars of the sky. He's trying to give him a reality. You are going to have children. You're going to have children. And I'm not going to call you. This is what God said to him at 75. Your name is Abram. I'm going to call you Abraham. Your name is Father. I'm going to call you Father of many nations. So what is God doing? He's calling him. He's calling those things that be not as though they were. He's saying something that Abraham is not yet. He hasn't even got a child. He hasn't got one baby. 75. Trying all his life with his wife. 75. That's when he gets the promise. And I love this, the way the Bible uh, summarizes Abraham's faith. You know, Abraham, it, it actually tells us, if you read it, look, and not being weak in faith, this is Abraham, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. Now, this is 25 years later after he got the promise. Now he's 100. In other words, 70, 25 years, he tried, 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 and it didn't happen. Now he's 100 years old. But he got to the place where he didn't consider his own body being dead and the deadness of Sarah's womb, because she's 90, he did not waver, that word means to separate himself from the promise of God, or to uh, withdraw from the promise of God. He did not waver, or to separate thoroughly from the promises of God. He didn't separate himself from the promises of God through unbelief. The word unbelief means faithlessness. He didn't disconnect himself, but was strengthened in faith, how was he strengthened in faith? He gave glory to God. So he said, God, thank you. That, I mean, the Bible says, and being convinced or fully persuaded that he had prom what God had promised, he was able to perform. So he got to the place, yes, I'm 99 years old. Yes, I'm turning 100. But you know what? I know I've got this body's dead. And my, my wife's 90. We've tried all our life. That takes a lot of faith. Tried all their life to have a baby. But God, you said, from Sarah, I'll have a son. So he started to thank you, God. That I don't know how you're going to do it. This is what faith works. This is how hope looks like. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you're going to do it. I don't have to work out the ins and outs. You're just asking me to believe. You're not asking me how to make it happen. You're asking me to believe for it to happen. When it comes to your provision, you don't have to know how the provision is going to come. He just has asked you to believe for it. 
It's much simpler just to believe for it. God works out the, the details on how he's going to get it to you. All I have to do is believe. Does that make sense? Abraham believed. I mean, that's, and it actually says he didn't waver. But you know what? The story, when you read the story of Abraham, he did waver. This is a summary of his faith working. And God overlooks the, the time where Sarah goes, hey, maybe God needs our help. Maybe, you meant, maybe God meant that you're going to have a child through Hagar, our servant. Like, you know, maybe you're supposed to sleep with our servant, and God gives us a son, and Abraham being the man that he was, the most spiritual man that he was, he goes, yeah, that's a great idea. That sounds really good. <laughs> he would listen to his wife at that point. And so he does. He sleeps with her. They have a baby, and his name is Ishmael. But God says, no, that's not. That's not how I said it. So he's trying to help God. Sometimes we try to help God along with his vision. We, we, we get in our own effort, our own strength, our own ideas, and we think, come on, God, we're going to help you. But God will say, no, I didn't state it that way. It's going to be actually a miracle. Faith without hope is dead. I, I, you know, I'm so grateful. I'm trying to explain. To, I'm so grateful where God has taken us. I'm grateful because I know where I've come from, if I can say it that way. And, 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 um, but yet... I have not let go of what God still is saying, if that makes sense. How does that happen? Like, let's talk about the vision of the church. Like I said, when I first started the church, I thought, oh, surely, I mean, I'm going to have 200 people, 300 people in a, year, in a year or two time, 200, easy. And yet, it's taken years and years, decades, 28 years. But I'm still holding on to say, God, you spoke. You said to do this. You said to start the church. You said to reach people. You, you promised. You gave the word. So all the hitbacks, every time, I mean, I never forget the first time my closest friend said, uh, I had a dream and God spoke to me, I'm going to go to Phil Pringles Church. It shocked me. My, my best buddy. We, we did this together from the beginning and you just given up on the vision? That shook me because of my faith was like this, like a little plant, a very tender plant. But now, you know what I mean? Like Now if someone did that, I thought, like, well, I know God's called me. I know that I know that I know. But you've had a lot of setbacks. You, like jo Joseph, he had so many setbacks. It didn't change the dream that God had planned for him. He became the prime minister of all of Egypt. By the time he was 37, that's 20 years. That's actually, it was two years into the famine. So it was actually 39 years old when his brothers came and bowed to him, begging for grain and food. And he's the prime minister of all of Egypt, wealthy. And if you study it, oh, it's, it's phenomenal when you look at it. Because he tested them when he tells them, keep one of your brothers, go back. He kept asking, is your father alive? Is your father alive? And, and, and when Judah spoke up, because Judah was the one that said, uh, let's sell him. Judah said, no, we cannot go back to our dad because if we do, he's going to die. We can't go back without Benjamin. Take me instead. When he saw that, he'd walk out and weep. Because he saw repentance. He saw that these brothers had changed. He saw they've changed. They're not like they used to be. He'd go out and cry and then come back. He'd speak another language. Just phenomenal. I, I believe jo Joseph had full forgiveness towards his brother. When he finally revealed himself, he hugged every one of them and cried on their necks. The Bible says for a long time. I mean, wow. The love, that to me is he had this hope. He never, helped. He never let go of that hope. Regardless of all the knockbacks. Abraham was a powerful example at that age. And Abraham is called the father of our faith because he held on to hope against hope. Because his body's screaming. 
you're 88 now, you're 89, Ishmael wasn't the right one, now you're 90, now you're 91, 92, surely. I mean, if it's going to happen, it should happen before. Your brain would be working against you. By the time you're 99, you're 100 years old, he still had faith. He held on to the promise. The word says this. According to what was spoken, this is how he had faith. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. God said it. It's like, if God, you said it, I'm holding on to it. That's faith with hope, working together. God is so good. Romans chapter 8. I just want to show you something here because this is the key. Romans 8, verse 16. Talking about hope and how hope works. Let's pick it up further down, actually. Let's read it from verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with pains together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. We were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. For why does one still hope for what he sees? I'll read that again. For we were saved in this hope. How were we saved in this hope? It's saying hope was the thing that motivated you to get saved. Hope is what says, I don't have a relationship with God. I want what I don't have. I don't have forgiveness with Christ. I don't feel that our sins are forgiven. I don't feel I've got peace with God. And, and I remember for me, I saw other people had peace with God and I didn't have what they had. I could sense that they, they knew where they were going. They, they, they had identity. I don't have that. So I wanted what they had. Hope was the fuel, the motivator to go after salvation. That's what the Bible says. We were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? In other words, if you've got something. When I wasn't married, I hoped for a wife. Hope was the fuel. It's the motivator to get something you don't have. I hope. Well, now I've got a wife. I don't hope for a wife. That motivation for a wife's gone because I have one. Does that make sense? When I didn't have a car, when I was very young, I hoped to get a car, to have wheels. But when I get a car, I don't hope for another car because I've got a car. I might hope for a better one if it was a, a bomb of a car, but yes. But you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, our desire. it's actually God's imprint of pursuing not saying more through greed, but pursuing to better ourselves in God. So for us now, it's vision. It's saying, God, what are you saying? How many more people do you want to reach? How many more lost souls are out there? It's that vision, that hope that motivates us. Does that make sense? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. This is the key. If you hope for what you do not see, that means you don't have it yet, then we wait Eagerly wait for it with perseverance. That is cheerful endurance. Joseph in the, in the pit, he must have remembered the dream. And when he's thrown in the prison, accused of rape, he must have remembered the dream. Because he's not there yet. And he's going, God, you spoke to me. God, you said this. Does that make sense? You, I, I'm trying to encourage every one of us, we have to have a vision that God has placed in us. And that should affect every part of our life, our marriage, our children, the way we, we, we grow to become more like Jesus. It says, likewise, the Spirit. What's likewise mean? Likewise, in this scripture, when you look it up, it says, in the same way, the Spirit, the Spirit is the Spirit of the living God, helps 
us in our weaknesses. The word help means takes our hold together with us against our weaknesses. Why our weaknesses? Because the Holy Spirit has a hope to fix our weaknesses. The hope that the Holy Spirit uses, because it likewise, in the same way, Holy Spirit uses hope to fuel, and we've got hope to fuel. Our spirit and the Holy Spirit's spirit together, works together against our weaknesses. Why? To change our weaknesses. To get better in an area of our walk with God. But the hope fuels us. If I've got an insecurity, I've got a weakness, it's holding me back from my relationship with God. Holy Spirit, with my spirit, together when we're praying, it's trying to fix that thing. But hope's the motivator. Hope is the fuel. I believe this with all my heart. If you lose hope, you don't want to get out of bed. What's the point of life? I don't want to get out of bed because you don't have hope. You've lost vision. You've lost the motivator. Because hope fuels us. Faith and hope fuels us to become more like Jesus. To, be, to do all that he's called us to do. People that lose all hope are tempted to, 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 to commit suicide. It's an epidemic in our world, in our Western world, when we've got everything we ever need. Because of hope. I believe hope, when you don't have hope, the, the, the counteract of hope, because uh, you don't have it, falls into depression. When you don't, you don't have fear, it falls into, I mean, you don't have faith. If you don't have faith, it falls into fear, which is anxiety, worry, and stress. If you don't have hope, it falls into depression, sadness, and grief. If you don't have love, it falls into selfishness, hatred, and bitterness. That's why the Bible says these three, faith, hope, and love. They work together. It's a powerful, powerful spiritual characteristics of God. We have those characteristics in us. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Look at this. I've got to move a bit quicker because the word, the word of God is amazing. I want the Word to build into our spirit. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, having been justified, declared right by faith. That's us. You and I have been declared right by faith. We have peace with God. Isn't that good? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom? Through Jesus. Also, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we what? Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The word hope there is an earnest expectation of the very glory of God. Our hope pushes us to the experience the glory of God, the very presence of God. I mean, that's amazing. I love it. And, and it goes on to say, we'll just show you this too. And not only that, but we also glory, that means to boast or to rejoice in tribulations, trials, hardships. Not that tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. How does that work? Think about it. How does tribulation, why should we rejoice in trouble? Why should we rejoice in trouble? Because the trouble, the tribulation, the persecution, the hardships is a pressure against your spiritual hope. Joseph is facing trouble because his brothers betrayed him. Now he's in a pit, prophet in training. Pit. And then he gets thrown as a slave and then he gets betrayed. As a, in the, and he's, now he's in prison. He wasn't doing anything wrong. I, mean, I don't know about you. I'd feel really betrayed. My brothers, now this. The wife of Potiphar accuses me of rape. I didn't do anything. And I'm in jail. God, where are you? I mean, you'd, you'd think you'd get upset and angry. Most of us would. But somehow, the pressure 
was pushing, he's holding on to perseverance to the hope. He had to hold on to the dream. I, think, I believe that's why God gave him the dream, the prophetic dream. Sometimes you get strong prophetic words because he knows you're going to face some hardships. You're going to face some obstacles. So you've got to hold on to the word through it, even though the world's screaming the opposite. The circumstances are telling you the absolute opposite. The word remains there. This is what Joseph was... I, I see it exactly like uh, uh, going to the gym. Tra- weight training. Your muscle can only get bigger if there's pressure against it. If you do nothing with your muscles... If you, I always say this, but if you lie down on a bed and eat three meals a day and don't move an inch, what happens to all that stored up energy and wasted energy? Because it's food. Food is energy. You just, it has to go somewhere. Because you're not moving an inch. And you do that for a few months, it has to go somewhere. But when you use that energy and you rip the muscle, the energy goes into repair. And so that, that is the spiritual muscle of hope. The pressure of the tribulation, the persecution, the hardships, uh, the, the circumstances that are screaming the opposite, and you keep holding on. The pressure fighting against it through God's word is building a spiritual muscle of hope. That's why the Bible says, Rejoice in tribulation. Because the tribulation, we knowing that tribulation produces a perseverance in us. Just keep persevering to God's word. This is what God says Perseverance produces a character, and character produces hope. Now, hope, this spiritual hope, does not disappoint. Because the love of God is shed abroad by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't disappoint. So if I, if I use myself as, a, as an example, only because I know me better than anybody else, so if, that's why I'm using me for now, uh, with the church and the, the, the starting the church when I was 22, and the hardships, the, you know, people leaving, people hurting me, people, all, the, all the knockbacks, all the, all the things, the time factor, everything, holding on to what God said. Now I'm stronger than ever. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And I can see the vision better than ever. And that's God's design. When we get older, we're not supposed to lose vision. We're supposed to get more vision. Seriously, I mean that. And we have some wisdom. And so I, I, my, my hope, and this is, I've got hope on every area. It's working all the time in my, in my life. I don't hope to be in a nursing home. I really don't. I'm not believing for a nursing home. I'm not going to go out that way. I'm going to go out preaching. I'd rather... I, I, I'm being honest. I really don't want to be in the nursing home. And uh, I mean, thank God for nursing homes. They do a lot of help and a lot of good. I'm not saying anything about that. I'm just saying for me, I, that's, my, that's what I envision. I really do. I envision that. Uh, I, I know a minister who's 82 years old. He's up on a stage. He's doing push-ups. He's, ever since he was young, he'd say his youth, his youth is renewed like an eagle. He'd speak it over his life. 82, can do push-ups. I know people that are 80 in the, in the nursing home. So it depends what you're believing for what you're speaking, what you're having faith for, what your hope is. If you see yourself, you know, so your body screams. Your body screams. My body is pretty young, but it's trying to scream. I won't listen. No, I'm serious. It's trying to say, oh, just, just lie in bed. There's a little bit of a backache. But I get encouraged every time someone's in their 20s and they get a backache. <laughs> I really do. I go, he's young and he's got a backache. Leon, my son's 25, he had a backache. Oh, praise God. <laughs> it's not just me. <laughs> don't get me wrong, I don't rejoice about their pain. <laughs> I just get encouraged. <laughs> but I'm just trying to show you that it should affect every area of our life. This hope, this perseverance. The nature of hope, this is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Persevering in hope. So the nature of hope is that it has to be accompanied with perseverance. 
It has to be. If you've got hope, you have to have perseverance next to it. It has to be connected. That's why it says persevering in hope in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. You know, there's a man by the name of young Wilberforce. Who's heard, who's heard of William Wilberforce? He abolished the slavery in England, and he fought in the court to set the slaves free, even though some churches uh, enforced it. Some churches did, you know, like believed in slavery and that sort of stuff. And look, look what happened to him. He was discouraged one night, this is Wilberforce, in early 1790s, after another defeat in his 10-year battle against the slave trade in England. Tired and frustrated, he opened the Bible, and, began, and, and, and as he began to read it, a leaf uh, it fell, fell down, a small piece of paper, sorry, fell out and fluttered to the floor. It was a letter written by John Wesley shortly before his death. Wilberforce read it again. This is what it said. Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing the abominable practice of slavery, which is a scandal of religion, of England, and of the human nature. This is John Wesley encouraging him. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you'll be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Question mark. Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might. And it says eight years later, 18 years from the fight that he started, 18 years, it was abolished. But the slaves didn't get free until 26 years later in reality. That's, and that was three days before he passed on, Wilberforce died. That's 44 years of fighting for something. That's called, you've got a hope, you've got a vision to set them free. That's his vision. But he kept persevering. A guy by the name of Arthur Iving Stone spent a lifetime, not just to write a book, but a lifetime of studying great men like uh, um, Michelangelo, Vincent van Gogh, Sigmund Freud, all these other great men. And he's trying to find out something in common uh, that they all have, what made him successful. And he said basically he couldn't find anything in common except that it, when life beat him down, when, they, when he got, they got bashed with circumstances, when they got bashed, they got bashed, they got bashed. When their vision didn't get fulfilled, they would just get back up. That's what he found in common with great men that achieved great vision. They just got back up. They just got back up again. They just got back up again. They just had this persistence. And at the end of their life, they, they accomplished a small part of their great vision. Does that make sense? But the small part made them great. That makes sense. Love hopes all things. The Bible says love hopes all things, believes all things. In 1 Corinthians 13, it believes all things, hopes all things. Endures, endures all things. Love is the motivator, the fuel for hope. Like as parents, if you've got kids, you hope for the best for them, don't you? You want the best. You never think, I hope they have a bad time. You don't, you don't think, I wish they had a, a harder life than me. I hope they hit their heads against a brick wall harder than me. No, never think that. You want the absolute best. Hope, that's love, hopes. It, it's the fuel of hope. So that's why when you're in a relationship with God, He fills you with hope. Imagine how much He loves us, how much He wants the best for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before Jesus, Jesus endured the cross. What was the joy set before Him? It was you. It was me. It was the souls of mankind. That's the joy that was set before him. What made Jesus stay there and do what he did was for his love for us. Endured the pain, the cross. When we sing songs like the last song, I forget the chorus. 
But it, it talks about at home and what's the song? <laughs> Is that the one? Yeah, but how does it start? Uh, no, that was the one, the one with the, 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 the Calvary one. The Calvary one, where it talks about Jesus. Thank you. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet. My Savior on the, that's, that's like the hope gone wrong. To Jesus, it looks like it's... But he knew what he was doing. Like, Jesus always had the hope set before him. That's the joy set before him. He allowed that to happen. But what I'm trying to show us the picture of sometimes the circumstances are the opposite of the victory. But we know God tricked the devil on that cross. Because all of mankind's sin was put upon Jesus. But in the natural, it looked like all hope hope was gone. All his disciples went to the room. They were crying. They were weeping. They're full of fear. All hope is gone. But really, victory is beginning. Because on the third day, he rose again. And that's just a picture. If Jesus held on to the hope of God, he held on to what God promised him, he would be raised up the third day. And says, Father, into thy hands. I commit my spirit. What's he saying? I trust you, your word, to resurrect me. He trusted the Father and God resurrected him. Amen? Can I finish with this one scripture? Because I don't think I'm going to get to it next. It's just too many good things and I've run out of time. I hate that. Romans 12, rejoice in hope. Hope is a choice. To rejoice in hope is a choice. You know, Paul wrote that in prison. Paul's in Rome. They're threatening to take his life. And he writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. The world doesn't have this hope, guys. Think about it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm in jail. I'm going to have my head chopped off soon enough. This is Paul. And he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. What beautiful words. Why? Because we can, rejo- we can choose to rejoice in the hope of God. That God is the God of hope. Rejoice is connected to a person. If you don't know the person of God, how are you going to rejoice? How are you going to have hope? Jesus says, even if they rejoice because they were casting out devils, and he goes, don't rejoice that demons are subject to your name, the name of Jesus in your lips, that demons can cast out and come out. They were excited that the miracles are happening. Just rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Yeah. If you've got nothing to rejoice about, nothing but your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You've got everything to rejoice. I'm serious. If you don't think this, you're not going to have the, the revelation or the ammunition to rejoice and be full of hope. Habakkuk says, if the, there's, no, there's no fruit in the store, stores, if there's no fruit on the land, if there's no meat or no cattle, if there's nothing in the trees, there's no olives on the branches, there's nothing. It says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. If everything's going wrong, I still will rejoice in the Lord. Amen? And this is the last one, I promise. Okay, I have to take, I have to, take to this. This is the, one of the best, I believe, one of the best scriptures in all of the Bible. Because look what it says. Beloved, this is 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, 
we shall see him. We shall be like him, sorry, for we shall see him as he is. Think about that. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What is Jesus like right now? If you were to see Jesus right now, his face shines brighter than the sun. John saw him in his fullness of his revelation and in the book of Revelations. And, and, and John said his face was like the sun, bright in the noonday sun. His eyes were like flames of fire. The glory was coming out of Jesus. And the Bible says, we shall be like him. Do you believe the Bible? You're going to be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And look at this. It gets better. And everyone who has this hope. Do you have this hope? That you're going to be like him one day. In heaven, we are going to be like him. The Bible says it. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What motivates you to be holy? Because we're going to be like him one day. What motivates me? to? I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to get rid of this because I want to be like you. When I see him, he's full of his glory. It gives me the hope. Because I see him, I want to purify myself. What Jesus has, we already have. The Bible says we're, the, we're seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. If Jesus is the head and we're the body, good news is where the head is, the body is too. We're united with Him. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's the hope of glory. Hope of the presence of God. There's another scripture that tells us the hope, this, this hope is that um, anchors us, anchors our soul and goes into the very holy of holies because Jesus is a forerunner went there for us. But the hope anchors our soul. Instead of being waving up to and fro like the world, the world's going everywhere now. We should be anchored because of our hope that our hope can go all the, all the way into the presence of God. Amen. listening to the GGC Life podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.